It is a blessing to me to get an opportunity to open God's word with you, to study it together, to share with you what God has, and to see God work in you. Uh, we will be studying today what the Bible says about its role in the life of a believer. And so please turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And I just thought it was so fitting with the song that we sang today. One of the, the verses starts off with, teach us, Lord, full obedience. And just think about that. The, the dependence that we have on God to obey his word. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today in Psalm 119. Now, as you guys turn, there are a couple of things about Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible. It has 176 verses. Uh, and it is all about one topic. And it has the role of the word of God in the life of a believer. This chapter with 176 verses doesn't stay at the surface level. It dives deep into how the word of God shapes us, about how the word of God gives us hope, about how the word of God helps us through trials. And the psalmist brings out these, this multifaceted nature of God's word and brings it to bear on his life in a very honest, very open, I think very encouraging way in the psalm. And that's what we're going to be studying. Now, we don't know who the author is. We don't know. Uh, it doesn't say usually psalms have a little inscription on top saying a psalm of David, but we have no, no indication of who the author is. There's some guesses. David is, is a major guess. Uh, but because we don't know who it is, the only thing we know who, uh, about the author is that he is a believer of God's word and that he trusts God's word. And, and I think it's a blessing that we don't know who it is because we can't make excuses. We can't say, like, well, I'm not David, so I can't do what this says. This is just a believer writing about God's word. And therefore, how he responds, how he goes to God is the same attitude, same response that we should have to God's word as well. So we're going to be studying Psalm 118, 176 verses. Don't worry, I'm not preaching that today. I'm not going to 176 verses today. I saw some of you looking at your clocks and wondering, I don't know, is this going to be possible? No, I'm not doing 176 verses. I'm doing 1 through 8. <laughs> okay, so that's a little bit more manageable. Um, we're going to do 1 through 8. And what you need to know about Psalm 119 is that uh, it's called the ABC of God's Word, or the A through Z of God's word in the life of a believer. And the reason why it's called A through Z is because Psalm 119 is what is known as an acrostic. An acrostic uh, essentially is a structure in Hebrew poetry, uh, uh, per, per, in particularly this, this psalm, but there are other psalms as well, where every letter or every verse starts with a Hebrew letter. So verses one through eight, for example, you see in your Bible, it might say Aleph on there or it might have a little symbol of, a, like of an X kind of shape, that is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so every verse in that stanza, in verses 1 through 8, starts with an A in the Hebrew alphabet, starts with an Aleph. Verses 9 through 16, as you see in your Bibles, it says Beth. That's the second letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And that means every letter starts with, with Beth, starts with, with kind of the equivalent of letter B, and then so forth. It's a very poetic, very... Uh, beautiful in the Hebrew, and a lot of that, even the, the rhythm and the timing, uh, some of that comes through in, in the English as well. And so we call it is the, a, the A through Z of God's words in the life of the believer. And that's a very fitting title because this psalm as a whole is very comprehensive. 
very comprehensive about the role that God's word plays. And it's very personal too. It's a very personal description of how God affects our heart through his word. So today we're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 8. And it begins with the word blessed. How blessed are those whose way is blameless. And in verse 2 again, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies. Now you have probably seen or heard people use the word blessed to describe their life. Uh, I could picture like on maybe like social media or maybe just in conversation with with people. People will have a a great dinner with family. It's It's a blessed time and they say, I am a blessed person. If someone receives an unexpected raise, they consider themselves blessed. Or maybe this has happened to you. You're in line at Starbucks and the car in in front of you pays for your drink. Has that happened to you? No? It happened to my wife twice, I think. Interestingly, it was both when I was not in the car. So I'm not sure what that means exactly. But um, but yeah, people will have that and then they post it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the thing is now. And they say, you know, hashtag blessed. Being blessed is used in our modern vernacular to describe situations of happiness, of joy, They're, that we're happy with our families. We're happy when we, when we get more money from our jobs. Right? We're happy when we get a free cup of coffee. Those are blessings, and, and, and those are great. However, all those situations and, and, and other situations like it, those are blessings from the Lord for sure. I don't want to say, like, they're not blessings. Don't be happy about that. Enjoy the free coffee. Um, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a, be, uh, to a blessed life, at least a blessed life as how it's defined biblically. Biblically, being blessed is deeper than family relations, is deeper than, than just a, a life situation or these momentary freebies. Being blessed means that you enjoy personal favor and approval from God. That's what being blessed means biblically that you enjoy personal favor and approval from God. And yes, that can happen without the free Starbucks. That can happen without having a great family. That could happen in the, in the midst of trials. And I just think of Job. God pointed out Job, and he said, here is this man, this, the, the man, this man on earth. This man is blameless and upright. He fears God, and he turns away from evil. That's God proclaiming that about Job. Now, I don't know about you, but that is blessed. That is enjoying that personal favor, personal approval from God. Uh, I would say also that, I mean, I would, just, I would love for God to say that about me. I would love for God to point out and say, here is Sergio, here is my servant. He is blameless, he is upright, he fears God, he turns away from evil. Now, I guess I should mention here, I'm not talking about being blameless positionally. We are blameless positionally before the Lord because of Christ, right? We gain Christ's righteousness and we are blameless before the Lord. I'm, what I'm talking about more is, is about your pattern of life. Looking at how you live and God looking at how you live your life and God saying, that's my son, that's my daughter. They are exemplary, they are above reproach, and I am glorified in them, and I delight in them. That is blessed. 
That's a blessed state to be in before the Lord. And just think about all the Starbucks, dinner, family stuff, all that doesn't compare to how God would see you if you are blessed like the way I'm talking about here. And you think about, okay, what about when disaster strikes? What about when Job loses his family and his health? Is he still blessed then? And I would say absolutely he's still blessed. God still sees him as upright and blameless. He is blameless in his ways, even though all those momentary blessings are gone. And he's still able to enjoy that blessing from the Lord. That, that's a blessed life. And so this morning, what our passage is going to do, our passage is going to tell us how we can live that blessed life. How we can live a life where we enjoy approval and favor from God. And the answer is simple. Psalm 119 is a straightforward psalm. The answer is, you want to enjoy that favor from God? You want to enjoy that blessed life? You live your life in submission to his word. You live a lifestyle, a pattern of life that is in submission to God's word. But this psalm expresses such, this fundamental truth in such a fresh way. I think even the, the most mature believers walk away from Psalm 119 uh, changed. They walk away even more sanctified than they came to it. So I'm hoping that in our study of Psalm 119, as we look at verses 1 through 8 today, we'll look at another stanza uh, next week, which is, which is a, a, a much more different tone, a lot more, um, a lot more trials in that stanza. But in this stanza, what we're looking at today is seeing the centrality of God's word in our life as we pursue a blessed life. The centrality of God's word as we pursue a blessed life. So read with me Psalm 119. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 today. God's word says, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness, they walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts, that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes that then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Pray with me. Father, we come before your word. We come before you in humble hearts and, and we pray, Lord, that you would teach us obedience, Lord that you would teach us through your word right now how we ought to live our lives so that we could enjoy favor, that we could enjoy that blessed uh, life, that approval from you, Lord. I pray, God, that you would open up your word to us. Pray, God, that you would change hearts. Pray, God, that you would just make yourself so appealing to us that we would just be drawn to you and seek you with all our hearts. Do, it, do this this hour, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look to this first section, the olive stanza, uh, I want to point out a, a, a quick structure, a structure that we can kind of make an outline for, for our time together this morning. 
And if you look in verses 1 through 3, verses 1 through 3, you can see the pronouns he uses. It's mostly in the third person. It's actually all in the third person. He is talking about those who are blessed. He is describing the life of those who are blessed. And then in verse 4, so that's going to be our first point. Verse 4, he addresses God, changes pronouns, and says to you. And then verse 5 and 8, he becomes very personal, very honest, almost confessional, almost prayerful. And so he focuses on himself. So we're going to use that as a, as a, as a rough outline. So verses 1 through 3, we're going to see our first point. And the first point of how to live a blessed life is that we see a pattern, that we pattern our life according to God's word. That's what we're going to see in verses 1 through 3, that we pattern our life according to God's word. Now, the Psalms gives a general description of those who are blessed. But before we get to that, I want to spend a little bit more time, a little bit, get a little bit more technical here about the word blessed. The idea with that word isn't being blessed, like we said earlier, in, in terms of having an easy life, in terms of getting free coffee, in terms of being, getting raises. It, it, it isn't the same either that when you say, Lord, please bless me with good health, with a good job or a new car. When the Old Testament uses this word for bless, it says that it uses that word because you are obeying his word. If you want to be this kind of blessed, you have to do something. Well, scripture says you, you are blessed with this particular um, Hebrew word, the Hebrew word is aser. You are blessed if you obey his word. You are blessed if you walk in his ways. You are blessed if you trust in the Lord. You can think of it this way. When, this word, when we see this word for blessed, it is, this word for blessed is saying, how rewarding is a life of those who do X, Y, and Z? How rewarding is a life of those who do these things? It is focusing on the joy and the contentment Focusing on, on, the, on the satisfaction that comes with living as God wants us to live. In other words, whoever is blessed is living in an enviable state of God's approval. In an enviable state. And that this is a state that, that is before God that you want to be in. Where God looks at you and is pleased with how you're living life. Now, this shouldn't be a new concept to us. We, we understand this. I mean, think, about, think about the godly examples in your lives. When I think about godly examples in, in my life. I, 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 see, I see men and women who, who, are, who are confident in God. I see men and women who trust in his word, who have an unwavering trust with God, enjoy sweet fellowship with him. And I see them and I say, I want that relationship with God. That is enviable to me. I want that. I want to be where they are. That is the blessing that Psalm, the psalmist here is writing in, 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 in verse 1 and verse 2. Now, honest question here. Do you want that kind of blessing? If that is how we're defining blessing as far as being in an enviable state before the Lord, do you want it? Is that the kind of blessing you desire? Okay, I think that question is actually pretty easy to answer. I think most, if not all of us, say yes. I want to be standing in good favor before God. So let me change that question a little bit. Is that your preferred blessing? That you would be living in such a way as to be in that enviable state of divine approval? 
Is that your preferred blessing? Or are there other blessings you'd rather have before that? Maybe it is that, well, I don't think it's a free coffee, but maybe it's, it's having good health. Maybe it's having that, that family you always wanted. Maybe it's, it's getting that raise that you want or that job that you want. The blessing we're talking about here far surpasses all that. Far surpasses all that. It is your good standing before the Lord. It is the Lord looking at you with delight because of the way you're living your life. If you value your relationship to God more than anything else, your answer to that question is going to be, yes, this is my preferred blessing. This is what I want in my life. So the, the psalmist He's going to tell us how to live like that. He's going to tell us what we need to live like so that we can live in this blessed state. And so in the verses 1 through 3, he's going to give us our answer. The first answer of how we can live this blessed life is by patterning our lives according to God's word. So look at verse 1. This is where we see our first point. He says, how blessed, and there's that word that we're talking about, to live in an enviable state before the Lord. How blessed are those whose way is blameless? So the first thing he talks about here, the psalmist, is he looks at the way of life, their conduct. How are those people who are blessed, how do they conduct their life? What is the, the usual pattern of their living? And he says that their usual pattern of their living is that it's blameless, literally meaning that it's above reproach. You can think of it as, as complete, complete in a sense of integrity. And if you're like me, when I first read this, I was thinking, well, that sounds like you have to be perfect. And I'm not perfect. But the focus is more on the overall pattern of life. And I could see this because, well, I just mentioned Job right earlier. Job was called blameless by God. We know Job is a man, and therefore Job is sinful. He is a sinner. So he's not living life that's perfect. But another example is Abraham. Abraham, or God, in, in, in Genesis 17:1. God calls Abraham to, to walk before him and to be blameless. And we know Abraham wasn't perfect. And you remember the story, I think, what he lied about his wife being his sister, right? So that's a, not, I wouldn't say blameless, but overall, the general pattern of his life is that he trusted God, that he obeyed him, and that he lived by faith. This is what a blameless life looks like. And a blameless life, living a blameless life, requires careful obedience of God's word. And that's, that's exactly where the psalmist takes us. Look at the next part of verse 1. He says, How blessed are those whose ways blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Those who are blessed walk in the law of the Lord. And again, we have this idea of habitual living. That's what, when you see walk there, the idea of walk is how they live their lives generally. They habitually live their lives in the law of the Lord. It isn't a season of their lives that they live that way. It isn't a weekend that they live that way. It isn't just when they're around other believers that they live that way. Their lives are patterned after the law of God. Now, we get to our first word, uh, 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 the word about the word of God. This is our first synonym for God's word. Now, in Psalm 119, there are eight synonyms. Each synonym of God's word is going to portray a different aspect of God's word. 
Okay, it's going to tell us something about God's word that the other, the, the other words kind of, the other words don't highlight. So when we get to law, the word for law there is one of those synonyms and is highlighting a certain aspect of God's word. And so what aspect does it highlight here? I'll tell you what it doesn't highlight. Law, as used in the Hebrew, which is the word for, which is the Hebrew word Torah. That law is not simply a list of do's and don'ts. So when we read how they walk in the law of the Lord, it's not that they did this and they didn't do that. The word for law here, it has the idea of, of the totality of God's teaching and his prescriptive direction. That's what the, the, that's what the word Torah means. It's essentially what God wants us to know so that we can navigate life, so that we can navigate the difficult paths of life and do so in a way that honors him. Now, you guys also know Torah. Uh, you know, we know Torah. It's the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, right? And in those first five books, right, there is a Levitical, Levitical law. There are laws in that Torah of do this, don't do that. But there's so much more in that Torah. Think, just think about the, uh, you know, think about Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3, like the, the creation account. The creation account. What does God teach us with the creation? So much, right? We, we, we learn about sin. We learn about death. We learn about God as a creator. We, we learn that there's hope because there's a, a seed that will come and, and crush the head of the serpent. All that teaching affects our life, right? This is not just the do's and don'ts. This is what God teaches us on what we need to know so that we can live our lives in accordance to his word. It affects our life. If, if the Torah tells us that sin leads to death, are we then going to believe God and see sin as destructive and deadly? The answer is yes. That's going to affect how we see sin. That's going to affect how we react to sin. It's going to affect the way we live and that's because it is God's law. It is a law of the Lord. God is teaching us how we ought to live. So we go back to blessed. You want to live in that enviable state before the Lord, where the Lord looks at you and is delighted in you. Then you go to his word. You go to what God says about life. You go to what God says about right and wrong, about who he is. You take all that in and you pattern your life according to that teaching. You live in conformity to God's word, and you live a life that is blessed through that. So, verse one, we live in accordance to God's word. Now, don't stop there, though. I think uh, believers will say, you know, I've said this at times, that obedience, uh, living a, a blessed life, just it just means obey, right? I'm just going to obey. And it becomes almost this, this mechanical reaction. But verse 2 doesn't takes us away from that. So look at verse 2. We're going to see something a little bit more that we, that we need. It's not just that, that we obey God's law and that's it. There's, there's more to it. So verse 2 says, How blessed are those who observe his testimonies. We can see that there's a kind of parallelism there with verse 1. Uh, we have another word for, um, for God's word, that's testimonies. And so that gives us another aspect here. Now, you know what a, what a, what a testimony is. Think about a testimony. A testimony is, is someone's description of, of an event or an experience. Right? We have testimonies when we do our, our baptisms. 
That's someone's testifying, someone's giving us what, telling us their story on how God saved them. We also have testimonies in, ter- in, in terms of, uh, in the context of courts, that someone's going to give their own re- recounting of how something happens. But then you have these expert testimonies, right? These expert witnesses. And these experts who are supposed to be authorities in their fields are supposed to give us a, a true assessment of the facts, right? Their, their testimony carries a lot more weight. Okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to ignore the fact that you can always get another expert witness to contradict your other expert witness, right? So let's just put that off to the side for now. So they care, the expert witnesses carry a lot of weight. So what about God's testimony? Well, this is what God says happened. What we have in scripture is what God says happened. It is God's description of reality. And if God's infallible, inerrant, then everything he he says is going to be infallible and inerrant. If God is faithful and true, then what we have in his word is a faithful and true witness of everything he writes about. He testifies in his word about his nature, about his attributes, about his workings in the world. And so the psalmist is saying, if you want to be blessed, you have to go to those testimonies. You have to observe those testimonies, not just, not just look at those testimonies, not just believe the testimonies, but you have to observe, you have to comply with what God says. It's looking at what God says, at who God says he is, at what God says he's done, and what he has done for you, what God, has, what God says about what is evil and what is good. Looking at his testimonies, and not just, not just believing it, but adjusting your life so that you live in conformity to it. But those who are blessed don't just stop there. Again, it's not like a, it's not a mechanical, God says this, I'm doing this. What's so key in this, in this section here is what he says next in verse two. In verse two, he follows that, let me just read all of verse 2. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. It's not just yielding to God's law. It's not even just treasuring his testimonies. There must be a wholehearted pursuit after God himself. And that's so key. Walking in his laws, Keep, keeping his testimonies, all those things must be done with a greater motivation than just obedience. A blessed life is ascribed to those who seek after God. Obeying God's word is a means to him. It is how we seek him. It is how we draw closer to him. You ever read the Bible and just see God's compassion or the, the compassion of Christ jump out of the page. I think we, we experienced that last week in, in, in our small group. Uh, we were looking at Mark 1, and in Mark 1, we were looking at uh, how Jesus healed uh, the man with leprosy. You look at the compassion Jesus had there and, and what that cost to Jesus, right, in, in, in healing him. Um, that's a topic for a number of time. But you look at Jesus' compassion there, 
and you look at what God's testimony about his own son, you believe it to be true. And as a result of seeing those things, we are drawn to Christ, right? That is the effect of looking at the testimonies, that we should be drawn to Christ, that we should be drawn to God because of what he says about himself. And this is what the psalmist is getting at here. The, your, your, your heart and reading God's word and studying God's word and conforming your life to it is seeking after God. And not just seeking after God, look how it describes it. Seeking after God wholeheartedly, right? Who seek him with all their heart. And when the Bible talks about heart, it's not just talking about emotions. It's not just talking about like, well, I, I, I feel God is good, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow him. It's, it's more than just emotions, when the Bible says to wholeheartedly seek, that means you're making a commitment to pursue God. That the decisions you make, your desires, your will, what you want, all those things are geared towards one thing. And that is drawing closer to God. You're intentionally driven to seek after him. So to live a blessed life, to what I would say called to be biblically happy, right? To be biblically blessed. You're, you're, you're not obeying for obedience sake. It doesn't stop there. You're not obeying so that you can have an easy life. You're not obeying so that you can say to God, look God, I did, I did my part, now do your part. That's not what obeying God's law, God's testimonies looks like. We obey because we want him. We love him and we want to know him more. So we seek after him through his word. And because you love God and because you want more of him, you're going to live your life shameless, uh, 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 blamelessly, right? We go back to verse one. You love God, you want to serve him, you live your life blamelessly. You love God so you observe his commandments, uh, you observe his law. You love God so you follow his testimonies. All those things have to follow loving God. And if you love God and you're searching after him, you know what you're not going to do. You're not going to do what, you're not going to do the opposite, thing, the opposite of what God's law says. And that's where the Psalms goes in verse three. Look at verse three. Verse three says, they also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. Verse three says that the blessed does no unrighteousness. They practice no malice. There's no injustice there. And it, this, the, the word there for, for what my Bible translates uh, unri uh, unrighteousness there, it's, it, it has more than just sinning against God. There is this idea there of injustice, of malice, that you're sinning against others as well. If you're seeking God, if you're wanting to live that blessed life, it would be inconsistent and even contrary to that goal to treat others poorly. To be unjust in your ways. And instead, those who are blessed, they don't walk contrary to what God says. They walk in accordance to what God says. They walk in his ways, not their ways. And I think we need to hear that. I was thinking about why is verse 3 there? I think we need to hear that because we need to be vigilant in our walk. The little warning there about what they don't do kind of acts like a spiritual weather balloon for us. If you see that, put up that balloon, you see it start to drift, drifting from the intended course, then we know we deviated and we gotta get back to that life of blessing. So how do we live that blessed life? It's going to God's word, 
It's patterning our life according to his word. But we don't go to God's word to, to be happy, right? We don't go to God's word because we want to get what we want. Or, or we, we don't go to God's word just to get the blessed life. We go to God's word because we want God. And we want to seek him. You know, and it, what I think tends to happen to us. So we get into a habit of reading God's word, of obeying, of, of living our lives in that pattern. And then something happens to us. Um, I don't know, a, a relationship explodes. Uh, uh, there's like a breakup, uh, a difficult job situation. There's health issues. Like some disappointment, some trial happens. And we say, God, I'm doing everything right here for my blessed life. How did this happen? Now, do you see what just happened there in that, re in that reaction? Did you catch it? Obeying God's word was no longer a pursuit to God himself. Right? If that was your reaction, if that was my reaction, that means we were obeying God's word, not for God himself. We were obeying God's word as a safety net. God's word was our insurance policy. If something was going to happen, we could, go, we could point out back to that and say, no, 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 I was obeying your law, O Lord. This shouldn't have happened to me. You were already outside the enviable state of God's approval because you desired something other than God there. Psalms is saying, if you want the joy and contentment of living in that enviable state before the Lord, yes, pattern your life according to God's word, but it must be to seek him. Now, the psalmist, in verse 4, changes pronouns. So verses 1 through 3, we saw that we should pattern our life to, according to God's word to seek after him. But then verse 4, he changes, and he starts speaking about uh, those who are blessed, and he addresses the one who does a blessing. And this is our second point for this morning in verse 4. Our second point is that being blessed means that you commit to God himself. Being blessed means that you commit to God himself. And there's a little bit of overlap, but there's a different emphasis here that I'm hoping to, to pull out. So the psalmist doesn't see the law of God as a law unto themselves. So read verse 4 with me. Verse 4 says, You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. The, the you here is emphatic. Uh, he, he says, you, if you're about to directly translate it from the Hebrew, it would be, you yourself commanded your precepts. So he's turning to God and recognizing the authority of God, the authority behind the word of God. Now, this is so crucial because if you don't do that, if you just see the word of God and you don't recognize the authority, what you get is a bunch of rule makers. And what you get is Pharisees. You get legalism. You get people who are just happy doing their part, following the rules with no heart commitment to God himself. You have to recognize the authority behind God's word. Now, verse four, he introduces another word here for another synonym. He says, you have ordained your precepts. Now, how many know what the word precept is? I don't, I don't know quite sure what that was. When I, when I first read it, I'm like, what's a precept? Um, it is an order or a charge given from a superior to a, coordinate, to a subordinate. So very much makes sense, right? If we're talking about God's authority, God's commanding something, well, what is he commanding? He's commanding his, his charges, his orders. But there's also another idea with this. It's not just charges and orders, but it's also the idea of procedures. 
that God has his, his that God in his authority has commanded us not just what to do, but how to do them. And you think of the instructions that God gives in the Torah. There are very, very specific instructions, right, on how to set up the tabernacle, how to tear it down, how to be cleansed from impurity, a whole bunch of instructions there. And God said, God didn't just say, here, obey this, figure out how to do it. He was gracious and kind and, and in his authority giving us how to do it. There is a way of doing it. I think we see this in, in, in Matthew 18 when it comes to the matter of church discipline. There's a way of doing things that the Lord lays out for us to follow. There are certain steps that must be followed in order to do it correctly. Because God tells us throughout his word, not just to do it, but, but how to do it. And I think that's just so helpful, so kind of God. That when God gives us command in his word, telling us how to do it, we need to pay attention to that. God isn't going to tell us to do something and then back away and leave us in the dark. He tells us how. He tells us how to live that life. He tells us how to be blessed. But then you look in verse 4 and say, okay, okay, I get it. Tells us what? He tells us. He commands us. He is his authority. Why does he tell us in the first place? And verse 4 gives us that reason. Verse 4 says that we should keep them diligently. The psalmist doesn't say that God gives his commands to us that we would have an easy life. God doesn't give his commands to us so that everything in our life will work out. It's not about what we get from obeying God. That's not why God gives us commands. God gives us commands that we would obey him, that he requires us to do them. He has the authority to command it to us, and he says, this is what a godly man and a godly woman look like, and this is how you do it. So we submit to that because it is true. It is what God, the Lord, has said. You know, I think of an example of this. Uh, bedtime. Bedtime is always interesting, right? Bedtime. Uh, kids, time for bed. And uh, I think this is true in most households. We'll see. Kids say, well, why does bedtime have to be now? That was that question. Like, okay, 8.30. Who decided 8.30? And guess what I get to say as a dad? I did. <laughs> I'm the dad. So the 8.30 is your bedtime, right? I have the authority there to make that call. Now, I, as a dad, am an authority under an authority, right? I am uh, I'm under God's authority. So I have to give an account for how I, 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 I parent. But God has no authority over him, right? He is the ultimate authority. And I love how Leviticus 18.4 says this. Le Leviticus 18.4 says, You are to do my judgments and keep my statutes, to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. And we hear that over and over and over again in Leviticus. I am the Lord your God. Like Almost after, you know, God gives a command and says, I am the Lord your God. That's because God is saying, Look at who I am. I am the Lord. I am the creator. No authority over me. I'm giving you this command and these orders and these procedures so that you would follow. I think the psalmist in verse 4 goes to God, says to God, yes, I recognize you as my authority and I want to live a blessed life and so I submit to your authority. 
So that's what living a blessed life requires. It requires a recognition of God's authority, that we would submit to God. And, and the psalmist ends verse 4 here with an intensification. Uh, he says, we are to keep your precepts diligently. That is a strong word in the Hebrew, exceedingly. And this is what separates those who are, who are blessed from, from those who are just the rule keepers. Um, God requires careful, intentional obedience. Let's, let's take a, like the, the greatest commandment of all, right? The greatest commandment, we are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, with all our strength, right? The nature of that command means that you can't obey that partially, right? You can't love God mostly and still hold on to some idols of your heart. A blessed life is, requires an all or nothing attitude to the Lord, an all or nothing attitude of submission and obedience because we submit to him as our king and we su submit to him as our ultimate authority. So we're blessed. We're blessed when we do that. And let me try to balance this out a little bit. While, while God demands this of his saints and God righteously, uh, um, rightfully demands this of his saints, he doesn't lord his rule over us like an like a unloving, as an uncaring tyrant. Our submission and our obedience is a delight. It's a delight to us if we're doing it for the right reasons. All right, we read this in 1 John. Remember 1 John 5? 1 John 5, 3 says that, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. It is an absolute joy to live according to God's word, to submit to our God, and, be, and, and blessed when we do. Now, why does it feel burdensome sometimes? When does submitting to his commands feel difficult? I'm sure there's a few answers to this. I have a couple. It's when we don't submit to him out of love. Right, 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God. You want to love God? Here's what we do out of love for God. But if you're not submitting to, to God out of love, and you try to obey God out of other reasons, fear of man, getting man's praise, boastful, prideful, whatever it is, then they're going to start to feel difficult. They're going to start to feel burdensome because you're not doing it out of love. This goes back to verse 2. When you stop seeking him, when you stop wanting him, his rule over us turns into a, a burden rather than a life of blessing. Very similar reason. Why, why, why would his law feel burden to us? We could feel burdened because we, sometimes we want to become the lawmakers. Sometimes we want to be the ones making the laws. We really try to make our own way to be blessed. We see a, a, a certain goal in our life. Is that's, that's where I'm going to be happy. That's my life. If I could get there, I'll be blessed. And we reason with ourselves that doing, that doing X, Y, or Z will lead us to happiness. But look at this verse. God commanded us to keep his precepts, right? To keep, to keep his precepts, not to make our own. So when we completely submit ourselves to him, his commandments are not burdensome. 
They lead to a life of great reward. They lead to a life of, of close fellowship with the Father in heaven, a, a, a life where we're living in that enviable state before the Lord. So we've seen that we are blessed when we seek after God and patterning our life according to his word. When we seek after him, him, we are blessed when we submit to him as our rightful authority. And we get to verse five. Again, the psalmist changes pronouns here. Instead of saying you, he goes to I. Psalmist is reflecting on here are these people who are blessed. Here's God's authority. And where am I in this? Am I following this? What about me? And this, by the way, is what exactly what God's word should be doing to us. We expect that as we read the Bible, that we would not be spared from being convicted, that we would not be spared from being changed, from being encouraged at a heart level. God's word cuts into the heart. And that's exactly what we see with the psalmist right here. So here's our last point. In verses five through eight, the psalmist says that, uh, we get from the psalms that being blessed means that you depend on God for your obedience to him. You depend on God for your, for your obedience to him. Look at verse five. So verse five, he says, oh, that my ways might be established to keep your statutes. The psalmist looks at these previous verses and he says, I want that. I want to be blessed. I want to live in that. And that desire turns into a longing that's expressed in, in a kind of a petition. He realizes that, that he can't get that on his own. That's a, that, that's a blessed life. I want to be in an enviable state before the Lord. I can't get there. How I wish I could get there. Now, this verb that he uses implies something. It's a passive verb, meaning somebody else is going to have to do that. The verb implies that somebody else is going to have to establish his ways, as it says in verse 5. In other words, the psalmist is saying, for, for, for my life to be established, for me to be seeking after God, for me to be patterning my life after his word and submitting to God as my Lord, I need my ways to be fixed by someone. And more specifically, I need my ways to be fixed to his statutes, to God's statutes. Here's the fourth synonym. The fourth synonym of God's word, statutes. Statutes is this idea of being engraved in stone. Think of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments couldn't just be erased. Otherwise, I guess, I guess Moses broke one, but they got another one. So couldn't just be erased. Uh, couldn't, didn't fade over time. In fact, they put the Ten Commandments in the ark so it could be a witness to future generations. And so when the psalmist says these statutes, you could think of the Ten Commandments, that these are permanent, uh, permanent decrees from the Lord, permanent commandments from God that will stand the test of time. And because they stand the test of time, they also require permanent observance. It's not a law that you could kind of ignore one day because you know it'll be gone the next day. God's law stays. God's word stays. It is eternal. But the psalm says, I need, I need to be fixed to that. And we know from later on in, 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 the, in the psalm that he is looking to God for this. 
Just a couple of verses here. Verse 10. Verse 10 down in, in the second stanza. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Look at that petition there. He's going to God saying, don't let me wander. Jump, jump over to uh, verse 33. Look how dependent he is on God. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in, your, delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. You read that, and you could keep going through that stanza. You read that, and, and it's very clear. The psalmist is depending on God. The psalmist is pleading to God. God, I need you to do this. I can't do this on my own. And I think this is one of the ways we could miss out on our rewarding life, miss out on a life of blessing, is that we try to obey God in our own power. We read verses 1 and 2 that, that being blessed means that we live blamelessly before the Lord. It means that we keep his laws and his testimony. We read that and we just think, I need God's help. I can't. God has to do this. So there is a very real, a very um, mature petition here. It is a mature place to realize you can't do this without God. And so the psalmist goes to God in prayer in verse 5. And in the following verse, he says, well, if, if God does establish that, look at what's going to happen. Look at verse, verse 6. He says, then, if God answers my prayers, verse 6, then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon your commandments. If God establishes my ways, if God helps, helps me, I will not be ashamed. In fact, the Hebrew is very strong there. He says, I will never be ashamed if God helps me. Well, when are we ashamed of God's word? Well, when it convicts us, right? I know um, I get a, in my, in my sinful nature and my attitude, I, I could get upset at Daniela, uh, not because of anything she's doing. I think she only messes up like twice a year, I think. Um, I'm, I'm like kind of year-round. Um, so when I, when I read God's word and, and, and I come across Ephesians 5, right, saying that, that husbands are to love their, their wives as Christ loves the church, I come to Ephesians 5 in my reading, and I kind of don't want to open my Bible. I'm kind of like, I know what God's going to say to me there. <laughs> but I read it. There is a shame there that I failed as a husband. But God's word, being sharper than into his sword, cuts, cuts deep. It cuts deep, and it reveals what, what Hebrews 4.12 says, right? It reveals my thoughts and intentions of my heart. And in that moment, where I see that I'm not living like I should, I'm, I'm moved to repent. I'm moved to go to Daniela, ask for forgiveness. Go to my Father in heaven and ask for his forgiveness. The word convicts. Go to verse, Psalm 19, verse 67. You know, this is, not just convictions, but trials. God uses trials. Verse 67 in Psalm 119, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I'll keep your word. Jump over to verse 21, verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted. What? 
because he cares about something more than, than just his comfort. It's good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. We go to God's word and, 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 and the Lord convicts us. It's a good thing. So the psalmist says, Lord, I need you to work in me so that I am not ashamed, so that I could look at your word and say, this is what I'm doing. Praise the Lord. You know, we experience this in a, in a positive sense when we become doers of God's word. When we become doers of God's word, there's that blessing of looking at God's word and say, I am in alignment with what God wants for my life. James 1, James 1, says, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Jump me down to verse 25 here. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides in it, not, have, not, be, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, and listen to this, an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. We are blessed if we are doers of God's word. But we need God to start that in us. Now, the psalmist also states this, this dependence of God in a positive. Look, look at verse 7. Verse 7, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Notice when this praise occurs. When does, when does the psalmist praise the Lord? It says, when he learns of God's judgments. Here's another synonym for God's word, God's judgments. God's judgments is, what, is God's decisions, not just his rulings, but it's what, what God has decided, including what God declares to be right and wrong, including God's dealings with man. You're never going to be wronged by God's word. God will not judge incorrectly. He is righteous. So we respond to that in, in worship and praise. I, I love Genesis 18.25. Abraham, Abraham's looking, Sodom and Gomorrah is about to have him. Abraham is looking at God, and, and he, he knows this, this thing is coming. And Abraham testifies that God will not treat the righteous like the wicked. He knows God is just in that. And he says, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the psalmist sees this, sees this in God's word. In God's word, he sees God's righteous judgment and he praises God for that. He praises God when he learns of those judgments in his word. And so when our ways are established in his word, when we learn about his judgments, we, we, we rejoice, right? And there's that blessed life comes back. We praise him. And so if our ways are established, there's no shame. There's life filled with praise. But, but there's also resolved. Verse 8, I shall keep your statutes. There is a commitment here, a commitment that, that is in itself a blessing from the Lord, right? This is like, if God, if God, if you do this, I will keep your statutes. So that commitment is a blessing from the Lord in itself. And, and just think about how you could endure temptation or when you have endured temptation, that joy that you chose God over sin is a joy that comes from a blessed life. But, but look what the psalmist says immediately after that. The last, the last part of the verse here in verse 8, he says, do not forsake me utterly. He, he's committed to commitment. He's committed to, to living life, to following his statutes, to keeping God's statutes, but at the same time, he's saying, Lord, don't leave me. I can't do this. 
And there is a perfect combination, of, a perfect coexistence here of the dependency on, on God and the resolution to obey him. You have that in the same verse. A resolution to obey, but also a dependence of God, a dependency on God. We, we see this in our daily lives. We start the day and we should start the day asking for God's help. We, we need to depend on the divine grace to help us obey his word, to help us fight sin, and, and to help us live that pattern uh, uh, according to God's word. But we also still pray throughout the day, Lord, help me. Lord, do not forsake me. Lord, I need you to be with me so that I could obey your word. And we, we just go back to the promises of God, right? What we're, what we're doing there when we say, don't forsake me, don't leave me, we're praying back the promises God has given us back to God. And we're trusting in that. So do have a blessed life. You pattern your life after God's word. You seek him. You submit to him. You depend on him. Now next week, we're going to look at that last verse. Because that last verse is indicative of this psalmist is, is, is choosing to trust God's word in the midst of a trial. But we've also seen that word elsewhere. Jesus, in his time of extreme trial, said, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? He said that when he experienced God's judgment on the cross. He said that when he took on your sin on the cross, and was separated from God and was forsaken by God because of, of our sin. And because he did that, we get his righteousness. You know, how, you know how that relates to a blessed life? That means we have certain hope because we're in Christ that we are blameless before God because of what Christ did and because of who Christ is. We have no unrighteousness positionally before God and, and, and God gave us his perfect righteousness. There's that hope that, I don't, that, that, that we have with Jesus. And, and Jesus promised in Matthew 28 that he will always be with us until the end of the age. You know, you look at Jesus and say, it's possible now that I could have this blessed life because of what Jesus did. And, and the contrary of that, it is impossible for you to have a blessed life if you don't trust and believe in Jesus. If you want that blessed life, if you want to live in that enviable state, a desired state of God's approval, it all has to start with Christ. It has to start with us going to him daily, with us walking with Christ, seeing Christ, seeking him, submitting to him, submitting to Christ as our Lord and Savior. If you do that, you will have the blessed life that the psalmist is talking about. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that we are not on our own, that you have commanded us to obey, you have commanded us to follow your word, but Lord, you enable us, enable us to. God, I just pray that, that you would just have your word sink into our hearts, that we may not sin against you, that we may live that life of, of being blessed, and that we may pursue you all the more. Praise Jesus' name, amen.